Amen. Thank you, Keith. Oh, man. That was good. You know, we started with Ananias and Sapphira. I was getting a little worried. But that was really good wisdom. <laughs> um, so it's so good to be with you all today. I, um, yeah, I'm just honored to speak and, um, and share with you what the Lord's been putting on my heart. And I do feel it's timely for our community. And, uh, and yeah, I just felt in the worship today just like something about we weren't made to kind of halfway do things. You know, we, we were made to be all in, like all in with God, like to, you know, just like Mary Magdalene, to pouring out, um, you know, pouring out that perfume upon his feet. We, we weren't made to do anything just halfway. And so I think we connect with that radical part of her, her worship. And as we worship and as we give, and even as we seek the Holy Spirit today, as I'm, as I'm sharing, it's like God is asking for more and more of us. And, and he is an all-consuming fire. And so I just feel that, that part of his um, nature. And, and I want to get caught up in the, in the love of God. Like, there's so much more to get caught up in today. And so I, I, I feel the spirit is moving in that way in a very unique manner. And I'm trying to adjust accordingly in how I share my message today. Because there's something about the all-consuming love of the Father um, that I'm feeling within today. So I want to I want to start off with sharing with you a little a little story from my journey of experiencing the love of God. When I was in college, um, right before college, I had a pretty radical encounter with God. I gave my life to Jesus, and I and I entered in college in a really formative place, like most of you probably were during those years. Maybe you're in those years right now. A real formative place in my life, and and I can remember in that season, I would go on these runs with the Lord, like late at night and I would just I would just run 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 for there was like trails back right you know where I went to school and you could run for miles and miles and miles and I would just run in the dark like a crazy person you know like just going on and on and on and sometimes I would get in a dialogue with the Lord and I would run too far because I couldn't actually like get back <laughs> like, like I become dehydrated and then trying to find some source of water but I'm in the middle of nowhere I'm in like a cow field somewhere on a trail um, so I would just get in these places with in these dialogues with the Lord and I had some hard seasons within that um, time in college and I've shared with some of you all you know there was a mass shooting that took place at my school uh, it was a uh, Virginia Tech and so this was you know world news I mean every news source on the planet was at my school, and so I'm processing this with the Lord as a young believer, and I'm having these dialogues with him, and and one night I remember just asking the Lord, saying like, God, like, I'm doing these runs with you, like, I'm, I feel your presence, I, I feel we're having these dialogues, but is this you? Like, is this real? And and I remember, you know, asking that question, and in a, in a moment, you know, like, when there's two forms of light on a subject, you could have two different shadows display behind you. So I have a shadow here behind me. But if there's another source of light coming in the direction, there's a, there's a duplicate. And in that moment that I asked the Lord that question, I see in the lights myself running, but then that duplicate shadow beside me. And I felt the Lord speak to me in this still small voice. Don't you see I'm here? I've been here all the time. You are running with me. You're not crazy. You, this, is, this dialogue is with the creator of the universe. And here I am choosing to run with you. Big God, massive God, almighty God. And I'm going to run with you. Little teenage 
boy, really, <laughs> out in a field in the middle of nowhere. I'm going to run with you. And so I, it was like a David-like moment for me. And, and it, it, it evokes emotion, just even sharing it with you now. And I, I say all that to say, God sees you. He sees me. He sees us. And I think that truth is so important and so critical for each and every one of us as we move forward into the things that God has for us. We have to know that we're seen, that we're known. At that point in time in my life, I wasn't really seen or known by any human being, if you will. I have my family, I have certain friends. It's all very superficial. I'm not really known. I'm not really seen. I'm not really, not, be, not because of them, because I'm not sharing the depth, the deep things in my heart. And perhaps I didn't know how to. I mean, I certainly didn't. They didn't know how to ask the questions to understand who I was. And so as I, as I begin to understand that I'm seen and known by God and begin to share my heart with him on those runs and those secret places, what it did is it transformed, it translated into my relationships. And all of a sudden, now I can share the deep things in my heart because I understand the deep things in my heart. I've shared them with the Lord, and now I can freely share and trust other people. And that the most formative, like, deep relationships in my life were formed in that season, and, and they're lasting on to today. But it was out of that intimacy with God, that connection with him that I had. Out of fellowship with the Father, we have fellowship with one another. That's how it works. And I want to talk today about this word fellowship and what it means. Um, and, and how fellowship really means family. And, and fellowship looks like family. And so that's what I, what I want to really dig into um, and take you through a little bit of my journey and a little bit um, of what I see in the, in the scriptures to promote this amazing reality that fellowship with God, fellowship with one another, it looks like family. It looks like family. And we get to be a part of it together. So during this past year, we've, all of us have, no matter who you are, like you've got some type of trauma, difficulty, hardship that you've dealt with. I don't care who you are. Like you've dealt with it given the challenges of 2020 and beyond. And so I, I find that some of that we know and some of that is hidden and we're not fully aware of. And I believe the concept of fellowship, communion with God and one another and I, I want to stress the one another today. That is the place where those hidden things can actually come out and be healed and be restored. And so I want to invite you all today. There's th I'm going to tell you, there's hidden things in your heart. There's hidden traumas in your heart. And God wants to bring those things in the surface through fellowship, through fellowship with one another in this room and fellowship with him. And he wants to heal those things. And I believe the, our ability to see those things healed and restored the, there's, a, there's a correlation between how we relate and connect with God and with one another. Between th that will determine, in a sense, how much of the healing we get, to, we get to receive in this life. I'll say that again. There's a correlation in how we relate and commune with God and one another that is connected to the healing that we can receive from trauma and wounds of this season and seasons past. Because I don't believe it's just about healing from 2020. I mean, there's been cracks 
that are been revealed in my heart and I bet yours from this season. Those cracks weren't there or were there before 2020. Let me tell you, 2020 just made them really obvious. <laughs> so praise God. Like now I can see the cracks in my heart, the places I need to be mended and molded. And, and can, we, can we get to a place where we're humble enough to let them come in and, and to let others come in and see healing in those places in our heart? So I want to ask you this question today. How are your relationships going? How are your relationships? With your spouse, with your friends, with your family? How are they? Do people, do you enjoy people's presence? Have you formed deep relationships with them? And are the people that you're closest with, are they healthy people? Are they people you can trust to share your heart with and who share their heart with you? Are you known by others? Do they know you and do you know them? Now Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and your strength. And the second greatest is to love your neighbor as yourself. Two greatest commandments. All the laws and the prophets hang on these two. These are massive commandments. How could we possibly fulfill the commandment to love God and to love others if we don't know others? If we don't know even ourselves? <laughs> How can we possibly do that? And so... It's so essential that we can share life and, and share our heart because without it, we can't even fulfill the great commandments that God's given us. It's so important. So going, going back to, to running, I wish I ran more. I'm sharing all these running analogies, but, you know, the dad life, I have not cultivated enough running. Um, so, you know, when I, when I run, and I, I do every few weeks, um, you know, I... Often it's one of two things that are holding me back. And it's either my upper body, like my lungs and my, and my heart, like it's either, it's either that, you know, where I'm feeling like short-winded and I can't, you know, push through that to get, gain more speed or endurance, or, or it's my lower body. Like, and normally if I don't run a lot, then my upper body's fine. Like I'm ready to like and maybe that's a gift from God, I don't know. But my lower body is the thing holding me back. My legs are slow. They're tired. They're weary. And so I find, I find that specifically, I think, more in a, in, in a charismatic church setting, we, we focus more, we can focus more. I don't think we do in this house, but this can happen, on the spirit. And, and that, to me, represents like that upper body, like, like being spiritually strong, full of faith. And, and I think we can get to a place where we feel so strong and alive and in the spirit, in connection with God. But then when we try to run and fulfill the things of God, our legs, which would represent your relationships, your emotional well-being, our legs won't carry us. And it takes, it takes more than just like being in his presence and being spiritually strong and growing in him is essential. I'm not underplaying that in the least. 
But if we're not emotionally connected to our bodies, to our minds, if we're not emotionally, relationally connected to other people, we can only run the race so far. And so I'm telling you that the church at large, we have to focus on our emotional state a bit more. We have to focus on our relational state. And I think it's been perhaps under, not fully understood, and especially in the church of, of America, where I think we can become so independent in our expression of our Christianity. And we can become so active in doing things, good things. But we get so active and, and we get like, even I would say spiritual highs, right? Like today, God might give you a word, me a word, and it's dead on. And somebody like gets touched. You know, that doesn't mean I'm doing okay. <laughs> I mean, I could, I could think that that means I'm awesome and I'm doing great. Look, I heard the Lord and he was right and it touched your heart. But that doesn't mean I'm doing okay. Not at all. That just means I'm, I was willing. <laughs> and that's great, but I might not be doing okay. There's a lot of people doing powerful ministry. They're not doing okay. You know them? They're not. And so I think it's so important that we quiet down our souls to hear and understand what's going on in our heart. To have those moments of running with the Lord, of being still with him. Because if we're caught up in the spiritual activity, we don't realize that there's chaos on the inside. And that will catch up with us over time. And so, so I want to encourage you, even today, everything I'm saying, the, the, the context of it is you got to be still and know that he's God. You got to be, you, you got to take space before him and to really understand what's going on the inside of you if you want to have fellowship with him and fellowship with one another. It's so, it's so essential. And, and, and COVID taught me that more than probably anything else has. And I want to remember that, and I would encourage you all, even this, we're in this transition, right, of like coming out of COVID, things are improving, but we, we don't want to forget the lessons that God has taught us in that season. You know, there's things, there's, there's habits that we develop during the season that are, some are unhealthy and they need to be broken. And we need to, you know, like habits of isolation, those need to be broken. Fear patterns in our mind, those need to be broken. There's other habits, things that the Lord spoke to you and to me that we need to make sure we maintain. Even as things open up and there's more freedom and we're hanging out, we're doing a lot more things, are, are we hearing and being, be, I pray the Lord would remind you today of the things he's taught you in this past year. I pray the Holy Spirit would bring that to remembrance so you could steward that revelation well, so you could run the ways well and fulfill the call of God on your life. Now, I think as we're, as we're seeking the Lord and we're evaluating kind of what's going on in us, we're listening, as I was saying, we're listening to our mind, listening to our body. We're listening, we're, we're not just disregarding that. This is not like self, um, what's the word? I'm not talking about introspection. Like we are in a sense kind of understanding what's going on in us, but it's, it's unto, it's to understand, it's not to understand who we are. I'll say it that way. When you're, tr when you're discerning what's happening in your own heart, you're not pulling back your identity, all right? Your identity in Christ is 
fixed. It's in the word of God. You, you're, a, you're a son. You're a daughter. You're a part of God's family. And so those things are who you are, all right? Those things are fixed. But when we go and we open up our heart, we say, God, I want to evaluate. I want to understand what's happening in me. I don't want to discredit it. That is how you're doing, not who you are. That is how you're doing, not who you are. And our culture doesn't, I don't think our culture gets this, right? We have great psychologists and great mental health professionals, and, and we have some in this company. But when you know the Lord and you know your identity, you don't go looking for your identity in your own flaws and in your own issues. You go looking for healing, and you go and say, oh, that is off. Like something's wrong in me. God, let your word be true in my life. Bring healing and restoration to this broken place in me. Instead of saying, oh, that brokenness, that's just who I am. I'm just a broken soul who can't be mended. That's me. And I spent, a, I spent years thinking that that was me and, like, and telling people about the brokenness in my heart in a prideful, super spiritual way. That ain't super spiritual. Like, it's actually not that hard to find the brokenness in your heart. <laughs> <laughs> but some of us, we need to do that. But once you find it, then you remind yourself who you are in God, and you get in a community, and you share these things, and you pray for healing and wholeness, and you believe that you can have it because of the blood of Christ. So it, 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 it's all, that context is so key, you all. It's so key. Because I've, I've been down that road, and it's no fun. The road of just introspection. So we can't do this alone. That's the whole point of my message today. We can't do this alone. There's no Lone Rangers in here. You guys ever watched the Lone Rangers? The, the, that old show? It's like black and white. I had it on VHS. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of you are too young. You know, I mean, it was old. It's like black and white. It's like, um, how's, that, how's that theme song go? Harl Silver, the Lone Ranger. And he comes out, right, on his big horse, and he's like, and he jumps over stuff, and he's like this western, you know, cowboy, and he's going to take down these lawless men, Butch Kavanich. Wow, it's coming back to me. And, um, you know, he's going to take them down, and he's, I think it's interesting that he has a mask, right, like a mask across his eyes, which is kind of funny because you know who he is. It's like just a very small mask, and, um, but he wears this mask. And, you know, that term gets thrown around, but we don't always remember where it came from. But that, that term, it, it's so interesting because the whole concept is he's going to ride in and say the day by himself. And, and how many of you know, like, that is so off on so many levels. <laughs> now, I'll take one level for it. Like, secular humanism, we've talked about that a bit here. Secular humanism is, it takes that Lone Ranger mentality and it applies it to how we're going to see transformation on the earth. And it, it separates God from the transformation that can take place. And it actually is very communal, this ideology. It says, let's all come together. Let's as a community come together and we can change the world. We're in our humanity and the strength of who we are. We can understand what's needed in society. And through our community, we can fix it and we can build a better tomorrow. Didn't you hear that? That's like every like corporate tagline ever. Um, and so that's, that's, that's secular humanism. It leaves God out of the transformation. 
But in the flip side, in the church sometimes, we, we leave community out of the transformation. We make it between just us and God. I'm going to get with God. I'm going to bring transformation. I'm going to, you know, take down all the darkness and, and powers in, um, that are worn against me. And it, it is also a Lone Ranger mentality. All right? That's Lone Ranger as well because you forget that you were made to do it in community, and that's how God really is expressed. His love is, is best expressed in community. And so some of you, you know, you might have come to New York, and you, you were going to the Lone Ranger theme song. You were entering into New York on your white horse, and you thought you were going to take, you know, the city, and God was going to do all this stuff through you. You've got God. And then if you're like me, you realize real quickly that you're pretty broken, and you actually couldn't achieve these things. God gave you these great prophetic words, but there's no way you could do them outside of the fellowship, outside of, outside of the people in this room and the people God's connected you with. And so you realize real quick that this Lone Ranger thing isn't working. And some of you maybe haven't realized that yet, and today you will, because you can't do it by yourself. God never created it that way. Um, my, my family, we're, um, my kids are taking, they're taking uh, swimming lessons. And so they're starting next week, and Lilu's going to start in the guppy class, and Fern's going to start in the next class. It's like the minnow class. And there's like a starfish class, but I'm like, what's up with that? Do starfish even swim? Like, I don't want to be in that class. But, but this, uh, my friend was telling me about the guppies class. His daughter's in it. Her name's Matilda. And he was like, yeah, Matilda, man, she's like really good swimmer. She can swim all over the pool. But the whole point of the guppies class is actually just to put your head under the water. Like, that's all they try to achieve, right? So Matilda, she's like, you know, except she could swim as good as I can probably. I saw the other day, she was out motoring around, but she won't put her head underwater. She won't do it. So last summer, she was in the guppies class. And let me tell you, this summer, she's in the guppies class. So she doesn't even know she's in the same class. <laughs> she's like, this is awesome. I'm growing, you know. But she ain't growing. Like, she's in the same class. And so, so how many of you know that you can be so talented, anointed at your job, in your ministry. You can swim all over the pool that God's given you. But if you don't learn to submit, if you don't learn to go low, to get under authority, under leaders, under God, you're going to be stuck in the guppies class. And you're going to be wondering what, some of you don't even know you're stuck in the guppies class. You're just like, why is nothing happening in my life? And, and, and some of you are like, what is going on? I'm talented, I'm gifted. I'm like, you know, I know I am, but I'm not advancing. And, and so I'm telling you, there's something about like submitting to one another. And, and, and it looks, leadership is the, one of the big things that you can see. Can you submit to a leader, to somebody over you? That if you can't do that, you probably don't have close personal relationships. Because, and, and I'm telling you this, even in my own heart journey, you know, I've got burned from some from major leaders in my life, and I saw this pattern, and I and I I I know that it, that points to something deeper, and we need to listen to that. We need to stop and say something's off in me, and I need to I need to seek the Lord for healing in this, and not just kind of move on and throw a throw a Bible verse at it and think I'm okay. Something is off, and I'm going to lean into God. I'm going to get healing, and and He's faithful to do it. So I want to bring, um, I want to talk about four points related to, to this term fellowship specifically. Um, and my first point is what I've mentioned already. Fellowship looks like family. Fellowship looks like family. Point number one. 
So if you look at the first uh, John, I want to turn to first John chapter one, verse one. And I want you to listen to how John describes his fellowship with God and with those that he's writing to in the book of first John. All right. So this is John the apostle writing, starting at verse one. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So we see fellowship listed twice here. And the first, he is, he's ushering these people into fellowship with him. And he's saying, I want to invite you into the fellowship I've had with God the Father and Jesus. So fellowship starts with your relationship with God and you're bringing other people into that relationship. It's not just you and I hanging out. Like this term fellowship, it's, a, it's something deeper than that. And it starts with how he connects with God. And God himself, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, it, he himself lives in community. He lives in fellowship with himself. And it's, it's kind of an odd concept, but that is the, the definition of fellowship and of community is found in the Trinity. That is where, that's, that's the very reason we're drawn to, to one another, that we, that we feel so called to love and connect because God in himself is connected and fully loved within himself. It's such an odd thing, but it is the very foundation. And see, when John says, we've seen him, we've touched him, what does that say about the fellowship God wants us to have with one another that he displayed in the person of Jesus? Jesus came on the scene and he connected with his apostles and he cried with them, he wept. He, they watched him pour his life out and they, and they touched his resurrected body. Like if you read in John 20, I think it's verse 20, Jesus shows up on the scene and John is talking about how we touched him. But I mean, probably what he's talking about is the resurrected body of Jesus that Thomas put his finger on. I mean, talk about like fellowship, intimacy, Jesus' physical body, his resurrected body. And he says, touch the wounds in my hands. Touch the wound in my side. This is the God we serve. This type of fellowship, this is not weak sauce fellowship. Like if, <laughs> weak sauce, where am I getting this stuff? <laughs> that's from college. I think that's where I got that from. So the definition, here's the secular definition of fellowship. Friendly association, especially with people that share one's interest. I could have fellowship with somebody that likes to play pickleball or tennis. We have fellowship. That ain't fellowship. Like, that's secular fellowship. Like, that's not godly fellowship. So that word fellowship is actually the word kononia. It's a Greek word, kononia. And it's, it's translated different ways in different parts of the scriptures. So same word, but different, tr the translators use different words when they translate it, right? So in section 1 John, it's translated as fellowship. If you look at Acts 2.42, here's this verse. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, kononia, so it's also translated fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
But that type of fellowship is the connectivity within them. It's not just that they hung out a lot. I mean, they gave all their money. They put it together. They sold everything and united with one another. That's, that's, that's a committed fellowship right there. That ain't hanging out in pickleball courts. Like, this is, this is deep. This is real. Philippians 3.10, here's, here's another way they use the word kononia, right, or the, the Greek word kononia. That I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and may share and that's Konania, it's translated share, his suffering, becoming like him in death. Sharing in his suffering, the fellowship. Sharing in the suffering of Christ. We, we just don't think of this word, we kind of use it so loosely, but it's so deep, it's so rich. And it has to do with our relationship, dynamic relationship with God and one another. I believe the healthiest relationships on this planet are those that are covered by the blood of Jesus, united by the Holy Spirit. That type of fellowship is so foreign to the world. And John 17 says that will show the world that Jesus loves it. The world will know that God has come into the world, that God loves the world, that Jesus died for the world because of the love seen in the fellowship we have together. This is a massive, massive topic. Like, this is how the gospel goes forth. We can share the gospel by word, but can we live it in our community and our fellowship together? And when we live it, especially in this season, the world will be, their jaws will open. They'll say, what is that? All I know are people that fellowship over opinions and ideas that they like. Like, all I know are people that they find certain commonalities and so they draw together. But you guys are drawn together with different views, different politics, different opinions, and you're still connected to each other in this unique, powerful way. You lay down your life for one another. But what connects you? The blood of Jesus. The spirit of God inside of us. That's what connects us. And that will testify to the goodness of God. That will testify to the power of God in a way very other things will. It is substantial. It's so key. that It's an evangelistic nightmare for the devil. When we love like that, he's like, you know. I don't know if he has nightmares. Like, who comes to the devil's nightmares? I don't know, but he gets them when that happens. <laughs> so I want to look at, I want to turn to Thessalonians. So if you go to 1 Thessalonians, and, um, and Paul's writing this book to the church of Thessalonica, and I want you to look at the analogies he uses to talk about the fellowship that he has with, with this church. So he uses analogies that are connected to, per, the, to parents. He uses the analogy of a mother and the analogy of a father. Fellowship looks like family. Those are the analogies he uses to convey the fellowship that he has with this church. So I'm going to read this real quick. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, and then I'm going to read uh, verse 11 right after that. Instead, we were like young children, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mom cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well. Isn't that powerful? Like a nursing mother. I'm around a nursing mother right now. Let me tell you, like that is, that is a precious and very descriptive and intentional analogy that he's using. And it, that's commitment. We're going to talk about commitment that we're called to in fellowship. 
that's scary commitment. Like, that's 24-7 commitment. <laughs> I don't know. we got to have enough talk about boundaries, but still, like, this is, this is like, this is for real, you know, this fellowship that we're called to. All right, verse, uh, verse 11. For you know that we dealt with each of you, here it comes, as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Look at that word choice. Like a father doing what? Encouraging, comforting, urging. Encouraging, comforting, urging you to what? To live lives worthy of God. Paul's praying day in, day out for these people. And he's saying, I want to fill anything missing in your faith. Any void, any gap, I want to fill it. I'm going to encourage and comfort and urge you to live a life you've been called to. And you know what word he doesn't use? He doesn't use the word demand. Urge, comfort, encourage. Just like any good parent should. Not demand, not my way, now you got to do it this way. Urge, comfort, encourage. All right, so first one, fellowship looks like family. Second point, fellowship requires you to walk in the light. Fellowship requires you to walk in the light. It's like, man, that word require, that's a strong word. Am I going to use that? I feel like, yeah, it does. <laughs> it requires you to walk in the light. I want to read uh, the next section in 1 John. 1 John, starting at verse 5. Here's what it says. This is the message we have heard from him, that's Jesus, and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim we have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie. We do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' his son purifies us from all sin. It's a powerful scripture. This analogy of darkness and light, John uses it quite a bit. The Gospel of John um, and 1 John as well. And even he calls us in the Gospel of John, he calls us, he calls us children of light, right? Satan is actually called the prince of darkness. So we have the father of light, King Jesus. We're, we're children of the light. And we have the prince of darkness, who likes to keep things hidden, secret. He works in secrecy and hiddenness. But as for us, we're children of the light. We don't hide things. We bring them out into the light. We let God see and people see what's going on in our heart so it can be dealt with. And in that place of letting into the light, what's it say? We have fellowship with one another. You can't have fellowship if you're not open. If you're hidden, how can you be known? How can you have this deep measure of fellowship with each other and even with God? You know, we try to hide things from God sometimes, which is kind of funny. Like he doesn't know. <laughs> but we really try to hide things from other people. And it prohibits us from the fellowship that Jesus died for. So when you walk in the light, you position yourself to have fellowship with other believers, and you position yourself to walk in healing and wholeness. 
and the blood of Jesus covers your sin when you walk in the light. When you bring something out, when you repent, when you not just bring it out, but you repent of it. You say, this is, this is not right. This is, there's sin in my life, and I'm going to bring it to the Lord, and I'm going to bring it to others. Then the wave of his forgiveness and mercy hits you, and all of a sudden, the light comes on, and the darkness is no hold in your heart. Without that, you can't have fellowship. Without letting the Lord come in and shine on the, th the, the things in your heart that are off, that are broken. And he's faithful to heal them, but we have to let them in, and we have to let others in. You know, there's, um, there's this quote that I heard. It's by this guy, John Bradshaw, and he said, you are as sick as the secrets you keep. Isn't that good and scary? You're as sick as the secrets you keep. When we bring it in the light, we're healed and whole, but if we keep those secrets, we're in trouble. You know, I was, um, I was taking this, this class, um, and they were talking about the, the discipline of honesty. And I thought it was a really interesting concept, the discipline of honesty. And uh, living in the light means that you walk in this level of honesty, sincerity. And how many of you know in culture, probably in your job, like, nobody's against lying. Like, they say they are, but, like, lying is so easy. Like, People lie, like, so easy. Like, it, it does not even phase them. I mean, I've been coached and work to lie, you know? Like, oh, yeah, do it this way, and, you know? And lying can be pretty darn productive. Um, <laughs> but if we're true to our faith and to what Jesus tells us, it's like, like, like lies are from, from the enemy. He's the father of lies. There's no lying in the kingdom. And so we have... I think that's a place where culture wants to come in and shift our heart, and we cannot let it in. Even if it costs you something, do not lie. Don't do it. And if it costs you, trust me, God will repay you in due time because you're honoring him. And, and when you lie to a brother and sister, you prohibit the fellowship that you can have. So I had a conversation with my daughter, Fern, just a few nights ago. Some of you saw her. She was here welcoming people in. She had like a... You know, lots of like, uh, what do you call them, streamers. I was like, careful with those streamers. Just welcome them in. Um, but um, she's six years old. And the other night, I was putting her to bed. And it was the sweetest thing she was telling me. She said, she said, Dad, you know, like, I like to talk to Jesus before I go to bed. I was like, really? Like, what do you, what do you talk about? And she said, well, you know, during the day, I like to sing him songs. Like, I'll go sing him songs. But at night, you know, I'll just talk to him. Sometimes I'll, I'll confess my sin to him. Like, really? Did your mother teach you to do that? I wish I had taught you to do that. That's awesome. And, and so I said, well, you know, like, the Bible says you, you, can, you should confess your sins to one another. So that's great. You're confessing it to God. But you could confess it to me or to mom. <laughs> and I really didn't mean in a manipulative way. I'm just like, I know that's freeing. You know, I really, I, I wasn't. And she, here's what she said to me, though. She says, she says all right, but uh, I won't get in trouble, right? <laughs> Good negotiator. Well played, Fern. <laughs> I said, yeah, you won't get in trouble. You won't get in trouble with me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Maybe I should have said wait. But, you know, uh, so she tells me what, and it, it was pretty innocent, honestly. But, it, but she really had a conviction about, about this thing. And so she shares it with me. And, uh, and I said, 
I said, Fern, you know, I'm so glad you shared that with me. You know, your name means sincere love. So maybe in that moment you didn't love the way, you know, you would have liked to and that God wants you to, but that's not who you are. You're a, you're a lover of God and of people. And so in her weakness, in her sharing that broken that thing in her heart, you know, when you share that with the Lord or with somebody else in, in, in a healthy fellowship setting, you call that person higher and you call out their name. You call out who they are and you don't shame them in, in whatever weakness they're sharing with you. And so when I said that to her, she just lit up and, and it freed her. And she was being real and repentant on what she had done. And afterward, I said, friend, how do you feel? She said, oh, I feel so good now, real good. I said, that's right, you confess all your sins to me right now. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. But, um, but that is how it feels to confess to one another. It's freeing. It's like a weight of boulders off of your back. And so that's a six-year-old, but how much more is that true of us? You know, I, I feel one of the really tough things is when we put on... I use the word mask because there's so many masks going around these days. When we put on that mask and we lie to ourselves and to other people about who we are, even when they love us well, even when we, we do something and they, and they praise us and love us, it doesn't satisfy our soul. You know why? Because you're not even being real with who you are. That person thinks they're loving you, but they're loving a fake version of you that you've put up for them to love. And so that love is great that we're able to give it, but we're loving a fake person. And the person that's creating that persona, they know it. Deep down, they know it. That's not even who they really are. And so it's so important that we confess and we're honest with where we're at because it allows us to receive love. And if, we, and if we're putting on masks and we're being fake and facades, we will never be able to receive the love of the Father like we should. Because Jesus gave us a heart that is receptive and tender and open. We don't have to have this form of separation. But fakeness and lies, it, it produces a hardening of heart and it disconnects us from God and from others. So, point number one, fellowship looks like family. Number two, fellowship requires you to walk in the light. Number three, fellowship covers shame. Fellowship covers shame. So in 1 John, if you read further on, it talks about how if you want to know, you're walk, you want to know if you're walking in the light or not, see how you love your brothers and sisters in the Lord. How do you love other Christian brothers and sisters? That'll tell you. That's a gauge for how you, if you're walking in the light. And I say that in a vulnerable way, right? And I myself have seen like, oh, you know, I can come out here and do great ministry, hear God do all this but then I'm not treating my wife well. I'm not treating my kids well. I'm not loving them well. Something's off in me. Something's wrong. There's, I'm not walking in the light when I live like that. And nobody would know that but me, my wife, my kids. Nobody else would know that. But I'm not walking in the light when that's the case. And so, so it's so critical that we create a safe place in this community, in the, in the body of Christ, to share our shame and our weakness. It's so important. 
even if you read 1 Corinthians, you know, it gives a definition of love. Love's patient, it's kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, not easily angered, not self-seeking. It keeps no record of wrong. It keeps no record of wrong. That's so key for us creating a safe place to share and really do fellowship and confess sin and confess hardship. We have to, we have, to have a, a community that really honors people and loves them and holds no record of wrong over them. So true Christian fellowship refuses to manipulate and control one another. It refuses to take on this shame culture to get certain results. Now, the world is totally okay with that. Like, in the world systems at large, they are fine with putting demands, shame on people in order to produce results. Some of you, you know, your bosses have told you to do that. Well, if you want to, you need to, you need to use fear and shame to get what this company needs. And that is not kingdom. And that is not, that can't not be a part of the fellowship of believers. So we got to call that out and we see it and not partner with it. Because we need to be a, a place where there is, that's safe to share your weakness, to share your brokenness. So I'll give you an example. When I was growing up, there was, there were people in my life that were not safe people. And I gave those people too much of my heart I, I shared with them my weakness, my issues, and they humiliated me. You know what that feels like? I shared my brokenness with them, and they put it, and they let everybody know it. When you get burned like that, that impacts your heart. I don't care who you are. That hardens your heart. And if you don't let the Lord into those places, you will never trust people again. And you won't have the fellowship that Jesus paid for with him and with one another. And so I remember that. And I remember saying, I got to build a wall to this person. I can't share these things with them. And that was real. But how many of you know if I took that same wall with this unsafe person and I put that all around me, even when there's safe people over here, I've got a real problem. I'm putting up a boundary and a wall that's necessary for this person, but now nobody gets in. And now I'm, I'm out of luck. And when hardship comes, when trials comes, when 2020 comes, what am I going to do? Who am I going to confide in? Am I just going to stuff all the things happening in my life? And when you stuff things, let me tell you, it's going to come out somewhere else. If you stuff things you're dealing with, you don't bring it to God to other people, it's like, a, it's like a, I heard this analogy, it's like taking a, uh, what are those, like beach balls, and you shove one into the water, it's gonna, you shove it under the water, it's going to come out. It just comes out somewhere else. <laughs> so you shove and you stuff certain things down, they come out other places in your life, and it, it will wreck, it'll wreck things. It'll wreck things in you. So we, we don't want to shame culture in the church, and I encourage you, don't let, don't let the culture, don't let the enemy bait you into shaming your brothers and sisters that have different opinions, different viewpoints than you. Don't take the bait. Don't try to demand your own way with them. Urge them, encourage, comfort. Be like a father, like a mother. Encouraging them to fulfill the calling of God in their life. That's how the kingdom operates. That's how Jesus operates. That's how we're called to operate. I'll say this thing real quick before I get to my last point. You know, Will and DeHavilland Ford, they were here, they're talking about the glory of God and like how, fills a place and the travail even that can come 
in that place. And, and that weeping and travail, um, you know, it'll come on you, and it's a good thing. And it's you, you, you're really, you're feeling the, the heart of God for a person. I've had it come on me personally, and it kind of caught me off guard. I'm just weeping and crying, and I'm, you know, praying for people. I'm like, what is this? I don't know. Um, but I'm like, oh, I think Tammy, I think Tammy does this sometimes. Okay. Okay, it's okay. Tammy's good. I'm good. Um, so, but I, I, I feel like that, that travail, which I think we're going to see more and more of that as the glory of God just increases, you know, in our company and, and in the city, it, it really, it changes our perspective on things. It, it really like, it, it shame, it, shame gets run out, right? Because you're just, you're not, you're no longer focused on your divisions or your opinions or like, you just want more of God and you're just consumed by the fire and the love of Jesus. And it burns that stuff out. And you know what else it does? It, change, it doesn't allow you to put shame or demonize non-believers because all of a sudden it's like not just us and they, but it's like you get God's heart for a person and that's what happens in travail. That's what happened to me. Like you just, they're doing all these terrible things and you don't care. Like you just want them to be saved. You want them to know God. Like what they're doing is not okay. It's not saying it's okay, but your heart is like so fixed on praying that they would know the Father and you won't give up. You're like a bulldog in prayer. Like, yes, they're going to know the Father. And you weep over them. And anyway, this is how I travail. Like, I don't know. Maybe you guys do it different. But I've had this happen in my in my dreams like recently. And in my dreams, I'll see people, you know, some Christians, some not, doing terrible things. And I don't condemn them. I don't shame them. I weep over them. I, I, I wake up weeping over these people. And so even in the natural, maybe I, I don't do that very much. But in my dreams, the Lord is trying to like soften my heart towards the generation that, that's, that's falling away from him and say, would you pray? Would you feel my heart for him? And I'm telling you, this travail place, it'll help take the shame out of the church. So we need it. And when it comes on you, let it happen. Give in. God wants to touch your heart. Last point. Fellowship helps you to endure hardships. Fellowship helps you to endure hardships. In 2020, those that had the strongest fellowship with the Lord and with others, they made it through the easiest, I believe. And if you didn't have it, I think since you're in this room, you probably went and tried to get it. <laughs> if you didn't have it, here you are and you want it. And it's so essential, that fellowship to take you through trials. I want to read real quick Hebrews 10, and this is verse 23 through 25. Hebrews 10 says, let us hold unswervingly, unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now the context of this verse is overcoming hardship, is enduring. And, and the, the people that are being written to here, it, they, he, he explains, the, the author of the book of Hebrews, whoever he is, he expounds upon like their suffering and their persecution. And in the midst of that, they draw together and they overcome. And he's praying that you would, you would finish the race all the way to the day of the Lord when final judgment comes. As you see the day approaching, that you would hold fast to your confession of faith. That you would glorify God with every part of your being. How does that happen? in the place where you do not forgo meeting together, where you continually are in fellowship with one another. 
And I don't think that means that you're just here every Sunday. Like, that's great, like, but that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about church attendance. Like, it's talking about your, your connection with brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's what it's talking about. And, and, you know, up here, we had last week, Sal and Jules were sharing, which is so precious. And the Lord gave me so much out of what they were sharing. And one of the things, you probably caught it, but if you didn't, I'll highlight it. They talked about Bill and Tammy and how their connection with Bill and Tammy, and Bill and Tammy do the same thing. They talk about their connection with, oh, no, I think Bill even talked about it. Whatever. It happens both ways. They talk about each other and how in the hardships, in the trials, in the struggles, one couple was there for the other couple. And they showed up, and they did not forgo meeting together. They stayed in fellowship. And how many of you know this church wouldn't be here, this community wouldn't be here if they didn't have each other? That is fellowship. That's covenant community. And that, my friend, is what we all need. And so in 2020, I, I began to say to myself, all right, like I'm in community with Bill and Tammy Sal and Jules, but who, who are my Bill and Tammy? Who are my Sal and Jules? Who are other, what are other people in my life that I can have that type of covenant, that type of fellowship with? Because we need it. You need it. I need it. And so I learned that from, from them, from watching them. And I said, God, I need this for myself. Worship team, could you guys, could you guys come on up? Hardships and persecutions are a gift at times that draw us near to the Father. And they draw us near to one another as well. They draw us near to each other. And so I want to encourage you, even as we're wrapping up, I believe for some of you there's people that the Lord's highlighted, healthy people, key phrase, healthy people, that you are to, you are to pursue in, in this fellowship with, lovers of God, men and women in your life, that you're to pursue at a deeper measure in this season because God wants to form these deep, deep relationships, these fellowship um, communities within our company and, and for the body of Christ at large. There are people that he's highlighted to you, I believe, in this season, and I want to encourage you to run after those people. I don't know why you would run after them. Are they running away from you maybe? I'm like, <laughs> it's a funny analogy, but I want you to go after them. I want, you to, I want you to be real with what's on your heart. I want you to walk in the light. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm pursuing this for myself. Um, you know, in 2020, I really came to the end of my rope in a lot of places. Like, you know, I had to get up on the, I had to really, I was so humbled. And there was moments when I couldn't manage myself, you know, couldn't like keep it together. And just like, I got the Lord, but I got to bring other people in too. I got to, I got to be, I got to be real with, with the people that I trust. And some of you, I'll say this, some of you know those people and some of you don't. Some of you don't have safe people. You don't know what that even looks like. And perhaps you've been burned like I was and you don't even want to go there. And I want to encourage you today to go there. I want to encourage you to trust again and ask the Lord ask the Lord like Lord you know I had some unsafe people in my life that have burned me can you show me who's safe can you show me who I can share my heart with can you show me 
how to do community well, how to do fellowship well. How to still be myself, not lose myself in a person or a connection with a person, but to be open and honest and, and real with where I'm at. And can you show me how to bring others into, into my life in a way that is healthy, in a way that is freeing, in a way that breaks shame, in a way that honors God? How many of you know our fellowship with one another is a ministry unto the Lord? It's a beautiful thing. Can everybody stand for me? So, Father, I pray right now, I pray today, Lord, would you give us a vision at how our fellowship with others should look? Would you give us a vision, God, for how to lay our life down for one another. Would you give us a vision, God, for, for even what we bring to others? You know, one part of being open and real with somebody is, it's not just what you can receive from them, it's, it's what you can give to them. You know, you share your heart, you share your, your struggles and your trials and how many of you know that vulnerability and that, and that testimony in you, it sparks something in others. It gives them hope. It, it connects them to the Father. And so I feel right now too, God is just, he's speaking to some people and saying, you have something to bring into these relationships. You're coming to give your heart. You're coming to be real and honest with, with God and with others. But you're coming to supply the gaps in their faith just as they supply the gaps in yours. I'm going to say that again. You, God is going to use you to supply the gaps in other people's faith just as they supply the gaps in your faith. And it's not a controlling thing. It's not a manipulating thing. It's not that you're preaching at people. You're being real and honest with your life. And it's sharpening people. As iron sharpens iron. Father God, we pray that you would teach us. We admit we don't know fully how to, how to walk in this fellowship that we see in, in your word. We don't fully know. And I'm sure that I'm not walking in it in the way you've intended and so we come before you and we humbly ask, Rabboni, teacher, teach us. Teach us how to love one another. Teach us how to love one another. That we may be unafraid to bring our emotions, to bring our sin, to bring our shame before you, before our brothers and sisters. Give us grace to have safe places Let us call one another higher. That we call one another out. And by out, I mean into who we are in God. 
out of the place of shame and brokenness and lies and darkness into the place of light, truth, freedom, wholeness, forgiveness found in the blood of the Lamb. In Jesus' name.